0: have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open to Revelation 2. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 29. Revelation 2, as you're finding your place there, I want to welcome all those who are joining us via our live stream this morning. We're always grateful for you and uh, grateful for Reach Church DeSoto. Uh, join us via live stream and venue service down the hall. Thank you for joining us this morning as we look to God's Word. And, and I do, I want to thank you so much for uh, the prayers, the, uh, the cards, the... The emails, the text messages it, it really means so much it 's a blessing to be able to pray for the church and I get an opportunity to pray for many We have our um, prayer list each week and to pray for others it's humbling to request the church to pray for you and um, but I needed it and i 'm grateful for it It was appreciative uh, we're faith and I both are very appreciative and um, also thank you we 've got an incredible staff here church and um, I I've, I feel like I've been out for a month and a half with my sabbatical and then this. and um, But I'm telling you, our church didn't miss a beat because we got an awesome, awesome staff. And uh, amen. And so I I, uh, I, I was really grateful, uh, Pastor Kelly, Pastor Jim, Pastor Kent, Pastor Bill, those who stepped in. And I uh, tell you what, isn't it good to have a Dr. Allen right up the road who can... I'm telling you, amen, you can let him know. Me and my family last week were blessed to be able to hear him lead us in the study of God's word. I'm just grateful, I'm so grateful to be here with you today. Let's turn our attention to God's word, Revelation 2, 18 through 29. You know, uh, you may have heard the story of the guy who, a uh, Civil War soldier who couldn't decide which, which side he wanted to be on, so he put the coat of the north on and the pants of the south And guess what? He got shot at from both directions. (laughs) And uh, that's what happens to the compromiser. What we're going to find out this morning, just very similar to the church of Pergamum, Thyatira is going to be a compromising church. They're a tolerant church. They have have good qualities, as we're going to see this morning, but they're tolerating a false teacher who's leading people astray. In the process, they're compromising the areas of truth and morality. I think so often, not, not only individual Christians, but churches, we, we fool ourselves into the, to believing that we can uh, compromise and tolerate sin, and God's going to be okay with it. That, that maybe we're the exception to the rule, and, and we can compromise in the areas of truth, or compromise in the areas of morality, and that God would somehow let it slide. And what we're going to be reminded of today is that, yes, God is patient, and yes, God is gracious, but God is also just, and God is also holy. So I pray that God would speak to us. Let's just read this passage this morning. Look with me, verse 18. And the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like burnished bronze, says this. I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bond servants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent and she doesn't want to repent of her immorality Behold, I'll throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them. I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have Hold fast until I come. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. He'll rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of a potter are broken into pieces. And I also have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who is an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. God, what a privilege it is together as your people around the truth of your word, and to know this morning that it is living and active, it speaks to us today, and that is my prayer, Lord, that you would speak to us corporately and individually, the Holy Spirit, you would make the word of God alive in areas where we need correction, correct us. We need discipline, and discipline us. To those who need encouragement, encourage. To those who do not not know Christ, we pray, Lord, that you would reveal the beauty of Christ today. They would be drawn to him and know his salvation. Lord, bless us today as we look to you and to your word. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You'll note there in verse 18 that just as he has done with each of these letters... He identifies himself, and he identifies himself as the one who has eyes like flames of fire. It's a reminder as we looked at, this is a description from chapter 1, that Christ sees and knows all things. You know, as we as individuals, we have the ability to fool people. We can create the, the facade, the illusion of holiness, but the eyes of Christ See through every facade, through every illusion, through every mask. Christ knows everything about you. He knows not only what you do, he knows why you do what you do. He not only knows the action, he knows the heart motivation. He has eyes like a flame of fire. He also says he has feet like burnished bronze. When we studied this in chapter 1, it was a reminder that these are the feet... That crush all of his enemies. No one is able to stand before Christ. No one is able to conquer him. He is all powerful and he is the final judge. When you put these things together at this introduction, you, you see what Christ is saying immediately to the church at Thyatira that I see and know everything, and one day you're going to stand before me in judgment. It's Peter, 1 Peter 1, 17, that if you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves with fear during your time of stay here on earth. Listen, if you knew that Christ was watching every aspect of your life, and if you knew today that you were going to stand before him in judgment what would you change about your life because here's the reality he does see all of your life he sees everything and you will stand before him in judgment remember too as we even as we contemplate these things that this letter to the church of thyatira it was read out loud and don't you imagine at this point there's some folks that are starting to sweat a little bit. Starting to squirm a little bit as they contemplate the reality that Christ is the one who sees all things. And he's ready to tread some folks down. But Christ doesn't immediately move to a rebuke, he, he gives a commendation. Look at verse 19. They're commended. I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance, that your deeds of late are greater than the first. What a great commendation! This is obviously a, fo- uh, a church that has a history of doctrinal faithfulness. They, they have a heritage of love towards one another. They have a reputation of hard work and perseverance. And he even says their deeds of later are greater than at first. In other words, they didn't just start out well. This was a, this was a church that continued to grow and mature, that they were, they were maturing their faith. They were growing in love for one another. The fruit of the ministry of this church is growing and spreading. It's a, it's a remarkable commendation. They've started well and they're growing. However, is it possible? Is it possible to be a church that starts out really well? Is it possible to be a church that starts out well and continues to grow, but then becomes doctrinally dry and gets away from the truth of God's word and the holiness of Christ, and they they end up just being a relic of what used to be? You drive by, have you driven by any churches that you look at and say, "Boy, at one point, that was a thriving, growing church. And now it's just a relic. I and mean, you, you can go to Lawrence, drive through Lawrence, and there is a building that is obviously was a church, and now it's a cat hospital. It makes me mad. It's disgusting. But folks, it, it should be a reminder that no church is so great that it can't fall. No denomination is so great. No parachurch organization is so great that if they get away from Christ, if they get away from his word, when they get away from his holiness, they will not simply become a relic or a museum of what used to be. So in verse 20, there's a rebuke. Because while they're growing in faithfulness, there's also an evil and sinful growth that is developed in the church, and if it's not addressed, it could become fatal. It's similar to... Uh, you know, go to a doctor's visit, and uh, they do the blood work, the lab tests, all those things. And you sit in there, and they say, boy, the, this is good. That's good. The heart's good. The liver liver's good. The, those things are good. Cholesterol's good. But there's this one issue over here. And they just kind of glance through all the good things. But then they really focus in on that one area of concern. Why? Because that God, doctor, if he's good, he knows That it doesn't matter how good these other areas are, if you don't address this, it'll overwhelm the good heart and the good liver and the good kidney. And Jesus is a good doctor, and he knows, great start, doing well, but if you don't address this area, it'll overwhelm all your past faithfulness. So they only get one verse on their commendation. Four verses on the rebuke. Look with me, verse 20. But I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bond servants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. So much like, the I said much like the church at Pergamum, Jesus' primary concern is their toleration. And tolerance is not always a bad thing. We know this. Tolerance can be good or bad depending on what it is that you tolerate. And here, the the church is tolerating a false teacher, a self-appointed. Notice that she calls herself a prophetess. In other words, this is not a woman who was humble and went to the church leadership and said, I've got this gift, and how can I use it in service to the body? No, she just declares herself a prophetess and starts teaching error. Now, in my opinion, this is a literal person who's given a figurative name, this Jezebel that Jezebel is probably not her literal name. It's a name that is given to her figuratively to speak of how she is corrupting the church. You know, we all know Jezebel in the Old Testament, this pagan idolater, this murderer who married one of the most wicked and evil northern kings, Ahab. They built a temple and an altar to Baal. They commit all kinds of acts of immorality, evil, and wickedness. But most importantly, Jezebel was an evil woman whose corruption and immorality affect three generations of kings, three generations of Israelites. She almost led to the, the destruction of the whole nation of Israel. And even beyond this, she almost eliminated the messianic line. Um, if you remember, there was a southern king, King Jehoshaphat, good king, but he was seeking unity. He wanted to bring unity between the northern and the southern kingdoms. And that sounds great, doesn't it? I want to bring unity. But listen to me, folks great desire for unity. But you should never seek unity when you have to lay aside the truth. You don't seek unity when you have to lay aside the truth. You cannot have unity when you have to compromise in areas of truth and morality. But Jehoshaphat, he wanted it so bad, he pursued it anyway. And one of the ways that he pursued unity was through marriage. And so Jehoshaphat took his son, Jehoram, had him marry Ahab and Jezebel's daughter, Athaliah. And if you know your Old Testament, you know Athaliah was extremely wicked And she corrupted not only her husband, Jehoram, but she corrupted her son, Azahiah, who was assassinated. And upon his assassination, she decided that she would just kill every child in the royal line. So she sought to kill 70 grandchildren. And it was a power move in order to control or to preserve her control. And she almost succeeded if it were not for a godly woman, Jehoshaphat, who in the midst of that bloodbath went in and saved one little boy named Joash, who is the progenitor of the messianic line. Listen to me. If she gets away with this, if you kill Joash, you got no Christ. If you got no Christ, you got no salvation. All of us are going to hell. Do you see how serious this is? And you look at this and you almost almost immediately think, well, thank you, Jezebel. But the real issue, here's what I believe. The more I looked at this, here's the point. Jezebel was bad, but the real problem was you had two Jewish kings who compromised the areas of truth and morality. Ahab should have never married Jezebel. He knew that it was, you're not supposed to marry a pagan idolater. They could be a Gentile, but they had to convert to Judaism and trust the one true God. He compromised. And then you got another king, Jehoshaphat, for the sake of unity and peace. He compromised. The the thought probably was, well, a little immorality. is not that bad. I mean, not that bad. We can compromise a little in the area of truth. We can overlook these things. And guess what? Their compromise and their tolerance led to the, the downfall almost of an entire nation and almost eliminated the messianic line. All because the leadership. Jezebel was bad. You look at this, you want to point the finger at somebody. The leadership of the nation decided they were going to compromise and tolerate evil, immorality, and lies. And when you take this over and you apply it to the church, do you see what Christ is saying? He's speaking, I think, specifically. These are to the angels. We've talked about this the leadership of the church. You're tolerating and giving a pass to a false teacher who's leading the church away from God's word. And into all kinds of immorality. And Christ is saying, if you will not address this issue, it's going to destroy your church. I'll remove your lampstand. Now, as I was thinking about this, I constantly thought, why in the world would they tolerate this? Why would the leadership decide to give a pass on a woman who's self-appointed, she's sinful, and she's teaching error." Let me tell you what I think. First of all, it was obvious she was a charismatic leader. It's pretty apparent she was a gifted communicator. It's also apparent that she's gained a fairly large following. And I believe what happened, quite frankly, is what still happens far too often today. That the leadership probably said, hey, if we deal with that person, if we deal with this lady, or as we might say, if we deal with that pastor, if we deal with that leader... Then a bunch of people are going to get upset, and some folks may leave our church, might create some division, and we want to keep peace and unity. And so in the name of the noble cause of unity, they allow truth and morality to slide. And again, I cannot be more clear on this, there is no real unity if there is no truth. You do not pursue unity if you have to lay aside morality. Those are the areas where we are called to be intolerant. And if we have to part ways with some folks, we part ways. But we will not compromise when it comes to the truth of God's word and the holiness of Christ. And so in verse 20, she leads people astray so they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, apparently, she was Gnostic in her teaching. We've talked about this before. Uh, so, these people taught the deep things, deep spiritual things that no one could know, these deep revelations. And that was all that really mattered. The flesh didn't matter. That's kind of infantile thinking. We've matured and grown, we got these deep things. So the idea is quit worrying so much about your flesh. If you want to be immoral, that's okay. If you want to be a drunkard, go for it. If you want to engage in some temple prostitution, no big deal. That's okay as long as you have these deep spiritual revelations. And as we think about this, week, does this not in many ways still occur today? That people say, well, you listen, I'm, I'm deep in my understanding of God's word. I've got these deep revelations I've been following. God for a long time and I know more than the the average person does so what does it matter if I drink a little bit over here maybe get drunk in my own home what does it matter if I go watch those vulgar movies I'm mature in my belief surely it won't affect my mind what does it matter if I gave you a little pornography over here I'm still reading my bible and I go to church I'm mature in my faith and folks it is a fungus it is an infection. It is a cancerous tumor. And if you do not deal with it, it will destroy you. Just as it would this church. Jesus is saying to the church, you've compromised. And compromise leads to corruption. And for a lack of a better term, to give us another C, corruption will lead to you being a carcass. And I believe you can apply that individually and you can apply that corporately remember it's normally not some big issue it's a little compromise here and it leads to corruption and eventually death christ is saying i'll remove your lampstand you become a relic look at verse 21 god says i gave her time to repent she doesn't want to repent of her immorality you know the overwhelming truth of the old testament when when you read the old testament i've been reading first and second samuel personally and uh, you read the Old Testament, you read the New Testament, whether it's the church, the people of God, in the New Testament, Old Testament. The overwhelming truth that sticks out to me is not necessarily the sinfulness of man, <laughs> which is very evident, but the overwhelming truth is the patience of God. How patient God is. You know, often I pray and say, Lord, Thank you for not giving up on me. If I were you, I'd probably kick me to the curb a long time ago. God is so patient. And he's patient with this woman. And it appears obvious that at some point, because there's some faithful men and people that are still there, it appears to me that there's been some faithful people who have gone to this woman and called her to repent. And said to this Jezebel, you're going down a path. You can't do this anymore. You need to repent. And guess what? She don't want to repent. Because she don't want to let go of her immorality and sin. I mean, we probably you've probably experienced that. You know somebody who's going down a path of destruction and they're engaging in sin that you know is going to lead to, you go to them and you say, don't, you got to repent. You need to repent of the sin and turn back to Christ. They don't want to repent. Why? They don't want to let go of their sin. They just like their sin too much. They prefer their sin more than they want Christ. And, and I, I think here's the deal. What you need to know is there comes a point when God's patience wears out. So many, too many people presume upon the patience and the grace of God. I think the idea is that because God has been gracious and patient in the past, he'll continue to be. Or maybe because God hasn't judged in the past, he won't judge in the future. Listen to me. God is patient. He is gracious. But his invitation to salvation, his invitation to repentance, is not open-ended. At some point or another, judgment does come. And so God says in verse 22, Christ says, Behold, I'll throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds, and I'll kill her children with pestilence. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, and I'll give to each one of you according to your deeds. Now, I I believe that Christ is talking about physical judgment that would come upon this woman and her children, that her followers. I, I take this very literally. This is physical judgment. In fact, you remember Paul said the Corinthians who were partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner for this reason, many of them are weak and sick and some of them have fallen asleep. He's saying you're profaning a sacred ordinance of God and Christ is about to bring judgment or is bringing judgment in a physical way and he's about to take some of you out. You know, If you want to know how serious a sin is to the heart of God, then see how God reacts in judgment. We often think that the punishment should fit the crime. That's kind of the way our minds work. But biblically, scripturally, we should think of it this way. The severity of God's judgment indicates the severity of the sin. And Jesus, you can't read this and not see that he takes this incredibly seriously. Jesus is saying, I'm about to make an example of this woman and I am going to glorify myself in my judgment upon her so that the rest of the churches around here are going to say, there is a God who sees and knows everything and brings judgment. You know, you you read this, boy, even as I'm saying, you read again, you see, this is so severe. I mean, the language that Christ uses here is, and some would say it's extreme, And if we're not careful, we'll be tempted to say, well, it's just a little little, uh, doctoral error. She's just getting off a little bit of God's word. I mean, what in the world's going on here? But think of it this way. Parents, if you knew that someone was seeking to lead your child astray and do them harm, Uh, Husbands, think of it this way, if you knew that somebody was trying to lead your wife astray and do her great harm, I would imagine that you would be incredibly intolerant. And I would imagine that you would be incredibly severe in your judgment. Listen, we are the spiritual children of Christ. And we are the bride of Christ. And the love of Christ for his church and his people demands that he be intolerant of those who seek to lead his children astray and do them harm. And his love for us demands that he be severe in his punishment. No church and no person in the church is so great that they can depart from Christ, depart from his word, and lead his children astray and think that they will somehow escape his judgment. And be reminded today that Christ reserves the right to take anyone out that he so desires and to remove the lampstand From any church that departs from him well look at verses 24 and 25 but i say this to the rest who are in thyatira who do not hold this teaching who have not known the deep things of satan as they call them i place no other burden on you nevertheless what you have hold fast until i come so jesus speaks now to those who do not hold this teaching those who have not been led astray those who are seeking faithfulness they have not known the deep things and notice what he calls them here they're deep things all right but they're not the deep things of god they're the deep things of satan Doctrinal error is not just a little error, it is satanic. It is deceptive, it is satanic. So, Jesus says to the faithful, What you have, I don't add anything else to you. um, Probably a quotation from Acts 15 when the church council met and they were talking about um, these Gentiles who were coming to faith. What do we give? Do we do we call them to be circumcised, to do all these other things? And they say we lay no other burden on you. Similarly, it's Christ alone. It's faith in Christ alone. It's grace alone. Then he says, Hold fast. That is what we do. He makes this really simple. We hold fast. We, we hold fast to Christ. See, it's really hard to improve upon Christ. The one who is God, who left the glory of heaven, entered in the filth of humanity, died on a cross for our sins, conquered the grave in his resurrection, and now offers salvation as a free gift through faith in him. You don't improve upon that. You know what you do? You just hold it fast. It's really hard to improve upon the perfection of God's word. You don't exceed it. You don't change it. You don't add to it, you hold it fast. You hold fast to the cross of Christ. It's really hard to improve upon Calvary where Christ, where God poured out his wrath and his judgment on his perfect son. And he atoned for our sins in his death so that now the righteousness of God could be imputed to our accounts through faith. You don't improve upon that. You hold it fast. You don't improve upon the perfection and the beauty of the church where God brings about through faith in Christ the greatest unity ever known to man. That in Christ Jesus there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. You don't improve upon those things. You hold them fast. You don't move. As the reformers said, and I mentioned earlier, it's grace alone, it's it's faith alone, it's Christ alone, it's scripture alone, it's the glory of God alone. Hold fast. And let me take this opportunity to remind you that we are a church that believes that God has spoken perfectly in his word and we could care less what anybody else thinks about us. We believe that God's word is perfect. And his word is the final say. But we do so recognizing that just as there was in Thyatira, just as there's always been throughout the history of Christianity, so it is today, that there's always pressure. There's always pressure to move. There's always been. There was in Thyatira. So it is today, this pressure to say, well, homosexuality is not a sin, it's not that bad. Well, God's word is pretty clear. We don't move. People say, well, you can just choose your gender today. Well, no, quite frankly, God has made us fearfully and wonderfully. We're made in His image, and you don't get to pick. That's what God's word says. People say, well, the, the Bible is not really reliable in the areas of history and science. This idea that it's partially inerrant. No, it's perfect. It's inerrant. And so the pressure is strong, but we hold fast. We stand on the truth of God's word, and we will not be moved. You know, as you read the Old Testament, you read the nation of Israel. They never lost a battle because they didn't have a good enough military. They never lost a battle because they didn't have enough money. They lost because they were unfaithful to God. Listen, we can lose people. Quite frankly, you don't need me. The one thing we cannot lose is faithfulness to Christ and his word. That's where we will not be moved. You know, when it comes to non-believers... Non-believers that we live around, we work around, we seek to be tolerant. Christ said he was not sent to the healthy but to the sick. We learned this last week. Christ sought to be around sinners, Zacchaeus. That's who we're to be. We, we rub shoulders with sinners. And we don't hate them. We don't persecute them. We grieve for them. We compel them to trust Christ. Now, we don't agree with their errors we say there's only one way to God it's through faith in Jesus Christ they say no there's many ways and we say no somebody's got to be wrong here and we hold to the truth so we don't agree with them we don't slide but we love them we tolerate them now, now listen to me on the other side of this when someone wants to become part of us when someone claims Christ and says I want to become a part of this family of faith When you enter into this body, the church, at that point, we all submit to King Jesus. We all submit to Christ. And what you think, your opinions at that point, they don't matter anymore. They carry no weight. So in this house, we will not tolerate unbiblical and ungodly ideas. We follow the word of God. And church, let me say this. It is a struggle. We we have a lot of Sunday school classes and discipleship groups. And we have to ensure we require certain. Because we know this thing can so easily get off the rails. And no one is too important. No one. I said this earlier, including myself. If I depart, I'm gone. If I get off base, biblically or morally, I'm out. No one is above this. We're serious about this. We don't. My prayers, we don't become a church, a great church. They used to be. Verse 26, there's a promise here, a couple of promises. He who overcomes and who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father. To him who overcomes, who perseveres, we talked about this, the one who is, not perfect, but the one who is striving, struggling towards faithfulness to the very end. And he quotes from Psalm 2, one of my favorite psalms, when when, uh, Christ speaks of the declaration that God made to him, when he... He said, surely I'll tell the decree of the Lord. He, he, he said, ask of me, and I'll surely give you the nations as your inheritance. The very ends of the earth is your possession. You shall rule them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. What's interesting is in Psalms 2, that is spoken to Christ. God speaks to Christ. Here, do you see this? This is Christ speaking to his people that you and I who trust in Christ, who hold fast to Christ, who overcome, we become co-heirs with Christ. And as we'll see in Revelation, we rule and reign with Christ. We are a group of people who right now, we have uh, we bend the knee to Christ. He's king. We submit to Christ as king. We know he is king. According to Psalm 2, God says, I have established my king. But his kingdom is not fully established here on earth right now, is it? And so we're a people who bend the knee to Christ. And in many ways, oftentimes, we look pretty foolish, don't we? The world ridicules us, mocks us. Where's your king? But what do we know? He's king. And one day, his kingdom will be established. And on that day, guess what? We won't look so foolish anymore. And we'll rule and reign with Christ. Man, what a great promise that causes us to persevere. We struggle, we fight because we want to to know that day when Christ is established and rule and reign with Him. But there's another promise in verse 28, and I'll give him the morning star. He has an ear to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The morning star, you know who the morning star is? We find out in Revelation a little later, the morning star is Christ himself. Do you see what Christ is promising his people who overcome, who persevere? Who fight off this voice and this pressure to move away from God's word, who stay faithful? Christ gives the promise of himself forever. And if you are here this morning and you truly know Jesus, you know this. There's no greater promise than the promise of abiding in the physical presence of Christ forever. This one that we have followed by faith, that we've given our lives to and submitted our lives to, the one we strive to know and to live like, and we fellowship, but we we see through a glass dimly. But the promise is one day face to face. No greater promise than the assurance of Christ. So, do we have a song this morning? Oh, yeah. Maybe you've heard this one Blessed Assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation. Purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Father, we thank you this morning for the promise of Christ to those who have trusted in him, to those who strive and struggle and seek faithfulness and perseverance. The promise is that one day we will be with Christ forever. And Lord, I pray right now to the one in this room or maybe the one watching online who doesn't know you, who's never trusted in Christ, God, I pray that supernaturally and spiritually through the power of your Holy Spirit this morning you'd peel back the blinders of their eyes and they would see the beauty of Christ. That they would know today there is no greater treasure than the treasure of knowing Christ and being born again through faith in him. The treasure of knowing that through Christ who died in their place, their sins are forgiven, a fresh start, a new beginning. The promise of Christ's presence in their life. The Holy Spirit residing within them. Fellowship with the God of all creation. Who will never leave them. And will one day lead them home. The promise of heaven. The promise of an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled and will not fade away. Reserved for them through the power of God by means of faith. God, I pray this morning, I pray that they would repent of their sins, they would turn and trust in you, and God, you would bring about that good work of salvation in their heart. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we pray this all in Christ's name, amen.